if as an organization, you actually focus on staffing up on people first, you gain this next level of traction, pace, capability on executing a holistic cybersecurity program. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to the second edition of our four-part cybersecurity mini-series. If you're just joining us right now, we are running a short mini-series focused specifically around security in the industrial automation space, and we're co-hosting that with a number of experts from Rockwell Automation. I mentioned that this is episode two, which means if you haven't yet, go back and check out episode one, where we talk about why security matters. Today, we're going to talk about the fundamentals of cybersecurity, or a term that's being thrown around more these days, cyber hygiene. So what that means is today, we're going to be talking about the process, people, and technology necessary for getting a good cybersecurity program in place. Keep those three things in mind. This will involve thinking about cybersecurity in a way that's grounded in best practices, standards, and frameworks that help us understand what a holistic cybersecurity program looks like. Another important thing to keep in mind is that we're going to be talking about doing the fundamentals first before investing in expensive cybersecurity tools and software. Anyway, I've been rambling a little bit, so we need to define what these fundamentals are that I keep referencing. Let's talk about the three things you can expect from today's show. Since I've already emphasized process, people, and technology, I think you might have an idea of what these three things involve. First, we're going to talk about process, getting the framework in place that will allow you to build a cybersecurity program that's right for your organization and doing a risk assessment to get a baseline of your security gaps. Second, we'll talk about people, how they impact program execution, the importance of assigning people to dedicated roles in cybersecurity, and pulling people from both the IT and OT side of your organization into these important positions. Finally, we'll get into the technology and talk about the pieces that go into a cybersecurity program with some specific discussion around patch management. Now, just so you know, these episodes are a little different from our typical interviews with manufacturing leaders where we dive into some higher level topics. We're really getting into the details with this mini series, so it might not be for everyone. But my call to action for you is if you do know someone in your organization or even just someone in your network that's an IT manager or a chief information and security officer, pass this podcast along to them. The easiest way to do that is through this link, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash cybersecurity. That'll take you not only to links to the podcast episodes on whatever platform you prefer to listen on, but it also has all the resources that are outlined in this mini-series. With that, I'm excited to get into today's discussion. Let's meet up with my old Rockwell buddy, Umair Masood, for our conversation around cybersecurity fundamentals. All right, folks, welcome back to the second episode in our cybersecurity mini-series with Rockwell Automation. Today, we are joined by Umer Masood, 
Rockwell's Director of Technical Security Oversight in the CISO's office. Umer, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. It's great having you back. It's been, gosh, it's probably been over two years since we recorded a video uh, on these topics a while ago, and I'm excited yeah. to talk cybersecurity fundamentals in more detail with you today. Awesome. And, and you know, since then, funny enough, you and I both started our careers with Rockwell down in Texas, if I remember right. And now we're both right. out here in the Bay Area. <laughs> so I'm going to throw out uh, a manufacturing happy hour style intro. Let's say you and I are hanging out in a cafe in your new home of San Jose somewhere, and we're chatting over coffee or tea. And I'm like, you know, Umer, we talk a lot about cybersecurity these days, and your responsibilities cover global and information technology security. What are the differences between those two, just so we know a little bit more about your role? Yeah, so in our CISO's office, um, there's actually kind of two main focuses. You know, if you look at security, a lot of times, especially cybersecurity, we think about, you know, a lot of the, the, the things from a tech uh, technology perspective, right? Like what are the controls on our laptops? What are the endpoint controls that we have? Um, we think about it in terms of, you know, uh, protecting data, right? But a lot of times, you know, if if you don't have the physical controls around you to maintain a level of protection security um, in your environment, be in the office environment, uh, being in a building, um, you know, I think you, you're you're already a few steps behind. And so mm -hmm. in our CISO's office, we've combined, obviously, and I think a lot of organizations do do this. They have both the physical security practice and the cybersecurity practice um, in one. And so that's kind of uh, what makes up our CISO's office. Love that. And I think it's very important to highlight the importance of both information as well as physical security as people are thinking through this, because we did our first episode is an introduction to cybersecurity. And I think the question that we're really trying to address today is where the heck do I get started with cybersecurity? Like around the how do I implement a good program? And in our preparation, if I've, if I've heard things right, it's all, of, you know, there's this process, there's people and technology. There are three parts to this aspect. Yeah. You know, a lot of times people talk about, and you see this, I think, happening a lot in the industry, is kind of this shiny object syndrome, right? Like, mm -hmm. I want to go and, you know, buy the newest software package that's going to go and, you know, solve my problem for me, and it's mm -hmm. going to make me secure. Um, I think a lot of the work that I've done in the past, uh, in my previous roles, and a lot of work I'm doing now in this role is definitely focused on making sure that we're, we're looking at the, the holistic picture. Right? We're looking at it, at this problem, not just from a technology perspective, but we're taking into account people in process for sure. Yeah. So with, with all that said, let's talk about where to get started. You know, where does an organization really start? We hear about purchasing software packages and there are a lot of companies out there selling them. How do companies really decide between them and taking the first step? Yeah, I think the first piece is to make sure that you are grounded, your, your thinking is grounded um, you know, in a way that it follows some of those best practices that are out there, right? Like, and, and when, I, when I say that, I mean, there's a lot of good work that's been done around um, standards and frameworks that really mm -hmm. help us start to understand what a holistic program would look like. Before we start making these buying decisions um, on what type of software to buy, and then, you know, how to even configure that software. And so, 
a lot of those frameworks really, if you look at something like NIST um, uh, cybersecurity framework, CSF, you know, mm -hmm. it really focuses on making sure that before you go down this path and before you start this journey, you understand what your tolerance to risk is. Because, you know, getting that right and, and, and making sure that you understand how much tolerance to risk do I have is going to help you define what your appetite for risk is. It's going to help you define how much risk can I accept. And ultimately, it'll help you define how do I um, allocate resources, funding um, to go in and mitigate and, and reduce the risks that I'm exposed to. So I think that's the most important part about you know, before before you go about saying, okay, I'm going to start purchasing these, these software, you're eventually going to come up against this issue of, well, you know, how much of this software do I need to pull, deploy? And then when I start to configure this thing and start to deploy it, how restrictive do I need to start making it? And if you don't have a good framework in place, you don't have a good standard in place that you've adopted, you're going to, you know, really be spinning your wheels on a lot of this stuff. So Adopting a framework is kind of the really the first step, and 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 then after that come things like establishing your own you know uh, OT information security standard, um, so that you've got a set of requirements that are you know kind of uh, broad enough that cover that entire cybersecurity spectrum, but really define uh, for your organization based off of your risk tolerance what are the requirements that I need to be adhering to as I look at these controls. So that, that's kind of that, that process piece and making sure that you've got, you know, this framework in place that you can kind of, you know, always kind of come back to and hold people accountable to and build a program around. So when I hear the word framework, like making sure you have that framework and then establishing like OT standards and requirements, how do you prioritize in this space when there's so many different things you can address? Yeah, I, I think that's an important question. A lot of Customers deal with that, and, and that's kind of where that shiny object syndrome comes into play. You know, I think the first piece is always making sure that you are focusing on the fundamentals, right? You're mm -hmm. focusing on, you know, what I think you're hearing in the industry called cyber hygiene. Some people have an aversion to that term. Some people want to call it cyber maintenance, but, you know, call it whatever you want. You've got to make sure you focus on the fundamentals, right? And I think that's kind of the first place we want to make sure we have standards against too, right? It's like, okay, if I'm going to have an asset management program within OT, within my manufacturing environment, you know, what are the requirements of that program and making sure I'm lining those out against, you know, a, an industry best practice or a, a, really a standard like 62443 or CSF. And so I think that's kind of what our focus really should be is to, before we want to start jumping into buying a tool, we, we prioritize it against, let's do the fundamentals first, right? And then we look at based off of our tolerance to risk, based off of where we are, how do we go about uh, road mapping this thing out? And I think another good technique that people use once they've moved past the fundamentals is then making sure that they're doing a risk assessment, right? They're, okay. they're, they're, they're actually evaluating their environment um, for what its capabilities currently are. And if you've done that, that process work, if you've done the standard framework work beforehand, uh, before you go and do this assessment, you'll have an understanding of, okay, you know, here's my current capabilities and here's where I think I need to be. And these are the biggest gaps I have because I think if I, if I threat model this out, you know, these are the, the um, uh, 
specific controls I need to be addressing and putting in place because if I don't, these will cause the biggest impact or big, biggest consequence to my environment. I love that. So going from the fundamentals, you use the term cyber hygiene. That is not the first time I've heard this term on this mini series, and I don't think it will be the last either. Um, I think it's a really great way to visualize it. So you're getting your hygiene in place, the fundamentals, understanding the standards, going next to that to that risk assessment. It really sounds like we're we're in this process phase of it. I'd love unless you have other topics to mention around this, I'd love to start talking about the people next because i imagine the people is the next topic we need to focus on before we get into more of the technology and tools is that correct yeah absolutely a lot of times we we tend to do a good job of uh and, and, you know buying a tool and, and getting it deployed and i think we do a all right decent job of establishing a framework setting out the standards rolling them out but i think a lot of times where we fall and 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 falter, if you will, is is on the people side. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily think about the resources that are required to run the program, right? To to you know, if you talk about cyber hygiene and you talk about patching, you talk about backup and recovery, right? You talk about you know, kind of these these fundamental things. Well, those programs require people, mm -hmm. right? They require people to. Um, manage them. They require people to execute them to a, like in a patch management program, right? Execute and apply the patch, test the patch before you apply it. You know, all those things require people. And, um, you know, it, it, if you were at S4 this year, um, Rebecca Moore from Accenture did an, a great talk about this specifically. And she put it in terms of really, this is something that you could, you know, the people piece, you could really weigh against the technology. And that was, you know, the kind of focus of the talk was saying, if as an organization, you actually focus on staffing up on people first, you gain this next level of traction, pace, capability on executing a holistic cybersecurity program. And in, in, and ultimately you could even argue that it would replace the need to some extent of technology even, Ooh. right? Because you had people that would take ownership, that would understand the environment. They would, you know, actually conduct the work and they could even bring some of their own tools and help you define what that roadmap looked like. It's kind of an interesting notion that we tend to forget and we tend to kind of put on the back burners. Let's really focus on what it takes to execute a program. And, and ultimately that comes down to people. Another thing that I thought was interesting about the talk was, and she brought up this example of, a lot of times we see people uh, and organizations and companies, you know, go say, oh, we've solved that problem. You know, we have people responsible to conduct the cyber hygiene activities, such as patch management, such as asset management. And the reality is what we see a lot of people do is just assign that task to an existing resource. And so now you've got a, a single resource that has shared responsibility. And a lot of times that tends tends to be and, and Rebecca brought this example up of a lot of times that this happens to be a maintenance technician, right? Or, or an operator or, you know, a controls engineer. And if you look at that resource, right, that resource is, is focused on being reactive. Yeah. Their job is to, when there's a downtime issue, when the line goes down, you know, when a sensor is, is a, a offset, right, to go and react to that problem and, and bring the plant back up, right? Because their focus is on availability. And so 
now you've got this reactive resource that's focused on availability. Now they're being given the responsibility to be proactive and bring the plant down so they can patch, right? Those are that dichotomy of responsibility is actually opposing, you know, those are opposing forces. So you can, you, you know, you, you'll see the level of success that you're going to get by taking that model is going to be very different. And, and I think we see that, you know, we saw that in Rockwell too, you know, in, in how we went about doing this as well. And so we, we've definitely looked at how do we prioritize decision-making around people before we go and start saying, let's go purchase a technology and, and start making decisions based off of that. That is excellent advice. And I just want to make sure I'm hearing it right. So as you mentioned, Rebecca Moore from Accenture talking about this conversation, what I found you really interesting about your example there was when you hire someone that has a reactive approach, you know, someone in maintenance typically is going to have a reactive approach just by the nature of their job. I I think that's fair, mostly fair to say, you know, you're going to end up taking a reactive approach to cybersecurity. So are you in that case, are you really looking for people with the title or experience in a patch management program or an asset management program that are going to take this proactive approach? And I'm asking this because I'm I'm imagining the manufacturing leaders that are listening to this. It's like, all right, well, who do I hire or who do I, who from my team do I assign these tasks that's going to be the right person? Yeah, I, I think the model that you come up with and the resources you pick, those can vary. I think there's, we've seen successful transitions from folks that are well-versed in IT going over to the OT environment and learning about it and, and understanding the priorities, understanding the technology and being dedicated to that, right? I think ultimately the, the lesson learned is that you've got a sole resource that's dedicated to performing that activity, right? And their sole responsibility is to really run that cyber hygiene, cyber maintenance, whatever you want to call it, that, that program, that security program within that OT environment. And we've seen the flip side too, right? We've seen OT personnel that understand the technology very well, but happen to have some type of experience with IT gear or even have an aptitude to want to learn the IT side, right? You can go in and really upskill those resources pretty easily. There's there's a lot of training that's out there that's focused on the cyber hygiene capabilities, right? Because those are not very advanced, um, I would say, topics to learn. And so you can quickly kind of take an OT resource and, and upskill them to, to do this type of, you know, security program type work. Well, that's a great clarification there because now I know, and hopefully the, the manufacturing leaders listening to this are hearing the same thing. There is relevant experience. It doesn't need to be exactly like, hey, this individual has already managed a patch management program, but it could be someone with relevant experience. Like you're saying, folks within IT and OT have made good transitions to these type of roles in the past. It's just a matter of making sure it's a sole resource dedicated to that activity. So there's less ambiguity. Is that correct? Yeah, I think ultimately, you know, you're, you're not relying on that resource to define what the program actions are, what the program, how it's going to be measured, what those metrics are going to be. The resource is ultimately executing. The framework has already been put together, right? We talked about this earlier, is, is that, that strategy portion of it on how you're going to execute on this program is done. You need now people and resources to start executing on that, right? And so I think that's why you can have these resources that are, you know, they're, they're using, the, the standards are set, the requirements are there. In some cases, you may have, you know, some basic tooling that you're giving them as well. 
you know, in other cases, if it's an IT resource, they may already have kind of a knowledge set of, okay, I actually want to bring in this tooling and that you can then adopt and scale those type of technologies. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of the key is that, you know, this is not necessarily a resource that you're relying on to define the roadmap of your program, define what the standards look like, that this is a resource that's executing and, and doing the work. Love that. Now that we have definition around the people, we already talked about the process. Is it the right time to move into technology at that point? You know, make you have the process in place and defined and you have the scale and the staff that's understood. How do we start focusing on the technology then? Yeah, I, I think when we start talking about technology, you know, and especially the, the fundamentals of the cyber hygiene aspect of this, I, I'd probably list six or seven things that I would say could arguably be a part of this program. And I think to some extent it varies depending on which industry you're in. But if I was to kind of walk through those things, my, my list would essentially include asset management, some level of identity access management, patch management, segmentation, backup recovery, and training and awareness. I think like those specific controls, those specific disciplines, I think pretty holistically make up what you would put into this like base fundamental level cyber hygiene, cyber maintenance program. You know, if, if we start walking through those, in, in, in most cases, most IT houses, most enterprise environments, you know, they have a good set of um, standards. They have a good set of frameworks and tooling that really focus on those areas. The thing to remember is, is that there is there's going to be variability in the way that you address and look at the OT environment when you're doing these things, right? And, and especially on the execution side, there will be things that you'll have to take into account, that you'll have to tweak, you'll have to adjust to make sure that you've got this really effective cybersecurity OT hygiene program that's actually mitigating the risk in, in, you know, in an appropriate way, right? Because the last thing you want to do is have these programs actually impact productivity, you know, impact availability of this environment, because those are kind of the main tenants, main priorities of any process, any OT type of an organization. They're focused on making sure that availability is up and running to, to make sure they can produce whatever they need to produce. And I think we just have to keep that those things in mind. And as you take that business focused point of view, you can come back to those fundamentals around asset management, you know, IAM, patch management, segmentation, et cetera. And you can look to then apply and, and tweak those frameworks that you have. When we at Rockwell went about this, you know, that was kind of the, the approach we took was not necessarily just looking at it from the perspective of, okay, here's what the IT standards are. Let's just copy those over to the OT. Ultimately, what we wanted to do was have OT focused standards that referenced the IT standards in some areas were needed, but were dedicated and were uh, actually even co-developed by the OT personnel, right? Because we want a level of ownership that the OT personnel could assign to their standards. At the same time, we wanted to make sure that those uh, standards were really rooted in some very sound and disciplined best practices. And so we knew we had to integrate that with the IT side. So we kind of looked at this as, you know, kind of a, a hybrid of, of sorts. And on our, on our IT standard side, we have kind of essentially our standards, but documents are basically all enveloped into what we call a security manual. 
Um, so mm -hmm. there's an information technology security manual, and now we've got a operational technology security manual, right? And so that's what, okay. um, yeah, that's essentially what makes up our uh, uh, an entire OT security program beyond even the fundamentals in the hygiene piece. I love that extension. I love the example around what we've done at Rockwell. You, you listed a breadth of things to look at, whether it's identity management, patch management, segmentation, backup recovery. That's that's not even the whole list. Maybe it would help our audience if we dove into patch management specifically. Like, Let's talk about that a little bit in terms of what this looks like when you're executing on this technology piece successfully. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think my my first point here would be is that it's you know I, I think patch management on the IT side seems pretty straightforward and easy. And well, I, I'll take that back. I don't think it's easy by any means because there's all okay. kinds of tooling, there's all <laughs> kinds of software, and I think you know that complexity that you have on the IT side actually ends up being I would say multiplied on the OT side to some extent. Okay. So not only you know are you trying to address vulnerabilities for those same type of IT gear that you've got because that those IT type devices exist in the OT environment, but now you have a whole different type and subset of gear and, and devices that you have to now take into account for. And a lot of times those devices don't necessarily have like a patch management platform that you can go and, you know, deploy patches from to them. Mm -hmm. So I think there's that aspect that complicates things. But on top of that, we have to always think about the business priority as well. And so, you know, when do I find the time to patch? That also starts to come into play. And ultimately, I would say the first place to figure out is making sure you've got the standard and requirements in place, but then quickly transition into the decision-making process, right? Of what framework do I have? What decision framework do I have? that helps me figure out when to patch. When is it necessary for me to actually allocate downtime or take the time to patch a vulnerability? I think that's kind of the first place that we started looking at this problem at Rockwell 2. So we're talking about when to patch, allocating the downtime for it. In addition to patch management, we talked about a number of other topics. I'd encourage the listeners of this show, you know, we don't necessarily have time to get into details around everything like segmentation today, um, asset management, et cetera. But let us know in like the comments on LinkedIn or Twitter what you might like to learn more about as it relates to cybersecurity in these areas in the future. As we're wrapping it up, Umer, I'm curious, we've talked, you, you've done a great job walking us through the process, the people, and the technology, do you have maybe a story of a customer you've helped before that kind of puts a bow around this and puts it into a final context for our audience before we wrap up today? Yeah, I think there's, I'm trying to think through what would be, there's many companies that we've worked with to help them through the process. They've all seen kind of this spectrum of success. I would say there's, there's some companies that have you know, done a, a pretty good job with their program and, and they've looked to come up with creative ways to make sure it's effective. I want to say that the, the common denominator across the companies that we've worked with, you know, honestly, it just comes back to the people. Like, you know, if you really, yeah, if, if you really have dedicated resources that are responsible on executing this, 
the, the probability of success is um, you know immensely increased. It's one thing to have a program in place, a patch, especially like things like patch management program in place, but to do that in a way where the operational environment team is bought in. I know folks at Rock will bring this up a lot is the importance of the programs are tied to you know, the consequences and the impact that could happen if, they, if those programs didn't exist. Ultimately, what that means is those people have built, you know, kind of that culture of security, right? We talk about, we used to talk mm-hmm. about this in terms of culture of safety. And the reason the culture of safety existed was because everybody could draw a clean, straight line between not having a control in place around safety and it mm-hmm. impacting people safety, right? Impacting, mm-hmm. you know, somebody's somebody's life, right? Or, or health. And so I think that same line needs to be drawn between the activities that folks do in, in these security programs and security controls that when they implement them, uh, you know, if you don't do these things and you don't have a culture around it, then you, you are in a situation where you're increasing the probability that, you know, there isn't a consequence or an impact to people's safety, environmental safety, health safety, et cetera. I like the way you reframe that in terms of the common denominator, having the right people in place, and also creating that culture of security, which might actually be the first time I've heard it referred to that. But that makes a lot of sense, especially when you compare it to cultures of safety within manufacturing companies. Excellent examples. Excellent job taking us through the process today. With that, now you mentioned some terms like NIST framework. We're going to get into those in the upcoming episodes of this mini series. In the meantime, Umer, I just wanted to thank you for jumping on the show. And when this whole COVID-19 thing is done, I need to drive down from San Francisco to catch you for lunch or something like that down there in San Jose. It's hard to believe you've been out here almost a year and we haven't gotten to catch up yet. Absolutely. I would love to. Yeah, there's a there's a, a market right next to the office, San Pedro Market. I don't know if you've been there, but yeah, let's get let's catch lunch there sometime. Absolutely. And for anyone listening that doesn't know what we're talking about, uh, right in downtown San Jose, Rockwell has this really cool innovation center focused around uh, electric vehicle and a lot of the high tech industries you see out here. So quick plug for that. And again, Umer, thanks for jumping on. And for those of you listening, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you here next time. Right. I hope you enjoyed that one. And that means we're officially halfway through our cybersecurity miniseries. I gotta say, I don't know why this whole cyber hygiene thing is such a taboo term. I think it's a great way to describe what we were talking about today. I really appreciate a lot of the insight that Umer brought to this conversation, especially around adopting a framework as a first step and then establishing your own OT and IT security standards that you're able to define the requirements for your organization. I think that's so important emphasizing that what's right for one company might not be right for another. Umer also mentioned the importance of being grounded in best practices and standards. And in our next episode, that's exactly what we're going to cover. Now that we've gone through why cybersecurity is important in our first episode and the fundamentals in this episode, in the next discussion, we are going to be going into defense in depth, the NIST framework and implementation. And then finally, I said we'd get into some of the standards and our last episode is going to be specifically focused on IEC 62443. Don't worry if you don't know what these things are yet. We, I know we've referenced them in a couple episodes so far, but we're going to take a much deeper dive in our following episode. 
With all these numbers and specific terms thrown out, it's probably a good time to mention that these cybersecurity conversations are covering a lot of detail. So if anything piqued your interest, head on over to manufacturinghappyhour.com cybersecurity for all the links mentioned in these episodes. As my call to action, since you've made it this far, I've got to think you have some vested interest in cybersecurity, but you probably know others that have some specific focus on it as well. If you have an IT manager in your company, if you have a CISO, consider forwarding this podcast onto them so that they can dive into these topics as well. Easiest way to do that is manufacturinghappyhour.com slash cybersecurity with links to every episode and every resource. Before we wrap up, one last footnote to mention. This entire mini-series is being brought to you by Rockwell Automation's cybersecurity team. As a full disclosure, Rockwell Automation is where I spend my daytime hours, but please note that Manufacturing Happy Hour is not an official Rockwell Automation podcast series. I just really like the company, and this cybersecurity team is absolutely top-notch for bringing you this type of content. With that, that's it for this week. Looking forward to having you back for the second half of the mini-series. In the meantime, stay innovative, stay thirsty, and we will catch you back here on Manufacturing Happy Hour real soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.